They are going crazy. In for the touchdown this week in the second episode, we've got Sai and we've got Ben, uh, leaders of our college and NFL content. Murph sends his regards, but unfortunately he's looking after his his wife, who uh, who is caring for a, a very, very small child. So I think I think we can let him off this week. Hello, how are we doing, guys? Good. I'm waiting, waiting for Ben's head to explode. My head won't explode. I'm very calm and very relaxed, as always. <laughs> um, so the, the, the topic for this, this week, and we'll, we'll define it a little bit, because I think each of us have potentially taken this in slightly different roots, I guess, was Ben made the statement that Daniel Jones has been set up to, set up to fail. Is that right, Ben? Are you happy with that wording? Yeah, by being handed the reins right now in New York, I was saying that they're setting him up to fail. Right, fair enough. To which I kind of took exception more because I'm so focused on the the Josh Rosen situation and how it is completely nuts that he's had this two years in a row and, in my opinion, in, in, in a much worse position than Daniel James has been just for this bit. So then we kind of extrapolated that out and talked about which teams might have better uh, receiving options and how we define that, whether you talk about O-line, whether you talk about the coaching and whether you talk about defensive lines. So we thought it might be quite a good conversation to bring out a lot of different issues to talk about if you're a quarterback coming into the league, and this is how I've defined it anyway, which teams at the moment is their set up and I think Murph looked at it a few years down the line as well a little bit, as to which teams you're going to have the most success in and which ones you're, you're already kind of built around with. Are we all happy with that as kind of, a, a, in a nutshell, what we're looking at? Yeah, I like that idea. I think it's fine. Um, it was just it was a good way to put a pin in an argument that basically took three hours of my life yesterday and I barely even got involved in it. Um, <laughs> There's some teams that are blatantly, obviously, set up for a rookie quarterback to come in, and they tend to be the ones that don't have a rookie quarterback. Um, they're, they're ready to play now, they're ready to go, they're ready to win Super Bowls. Obviously, other teams aren't, and more often than not, you find that um, quarterbacks coming in, especially mid-season, will have a tougher situation. So, it'll be interested to see what you guys think about uh, which teams are what. Yeah, absolutely, sounds good to me. Let, let's have, let's go through it and see where we uh, where we all land. Cool. So, should we start with what's bad or what's good? I think let's just jump in with the bad. I like I like being negative. You know that, <laughs> <laughs> right? Well, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna mention a couple because there's a f- we we've all got the same number one, I think, um, which is New England. Which, for me, that is as much about the coaching and consistency as anything, probably. And and actually, their receiving core at the moment is insane. Whether that will stay together, whether Brown's going to actually get suspended or, or whatever for the year will be interesting. But I suspect he won't, knowing the NFL. And the offensive line with Skarnakia is, is always going to be decent. And they, they have some talented players there that they can get the most out of. Tight end is obviously, a, you'd say it's a bit of a question, but they've got so many receivers now and so many pass-catching backs that, that really even if Brady's arm was a bit diminished, which I'm not sure that it is really, um, he's got a lot of short and intermediate options anyway. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think, uh, ultimately, the name of the game is winning Super Bowls. 
New England Patriots could win Super Bowls if it wasn't hard to put them at the top of your list for any other reason than that, really. That's what we're here for. Um, rookie quarterback, it doesn't matter who goes in or what they need. They've got a way of scheming around everything. It's perfect, Tom. Sure, but at the same time, you don't want to diminish what Brady brings, right? So his ability to read situations and, and connect the dots from one play to the next is is at another level, right? We're, the reason that we say that he's the best quarterback is because he can mentally process things and adjust so quickly. Um, I don't think we should say that any quarterback that goes into that situation is, is going to just take it up and go, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's not going to be as good for other quarterbacks. Brady does bring something to the table, but you would still like to think that you dropped, well, we saw them drop Garoppolo, we saw them drop Brissett in for the odd games, and they had success in that system. And I think anybody that can throw the ball competently, I think we need to set a baseline here. We're not dropping like, okay, so this is unfair because Gardner Minshew's looked very good as an undrafted rookie, but we're not, we're not dropping an undrafted rookie into these situations. We're talking about at least a first round, maybe a first couple of rounds pick. Like I even think like a Ryan Finley, for example, could go in and succeed in a lot of these situations because he's the, he's capable of getting the ball into the hands of receivers and playing behind a decent offensive line. Well, and these things bleed into each other as well a little bit, right? If you've got the good coach and you've got the good scheme, the players will develop and, and improve anyway. So, you know, Brissett and Garoppolo definitely aren't the worst quarterbacks that are starting in this league. Um, and whether that's because they were evaluated well or because they developed in that system, it's probably a bit of both. So, um, so anyway, so there's one we've got. We've, we've all got Dallas pretty high, decent, good O-line couple of good receiving options now. Presumably, they're going to keep Amari Cooper going forward. Um, and you've, you've got Zeke that you can rely on a little bit, but they've, they've just now overpaid for the next six years. Um, Philly, receiving options out of your ears. Um, and you've got the O-line as well. One thing uh, that I was surprised about was that Murph is pretty low on New Orleans. I... I actually think they've got some really good young talent. Their O-line's really, really, really decent. I think Ramchick's great. I think uh, Armstead's really good. McCoy's obviously starting this new season, but a lot of people think it was a first-round talent that they nabbed in the second. Uh, and I definitely don't think Pete is is a bad guard either. And they're all sort of pre-28, so they're going to be there for a while. You've got Kamara, you've got Michael Thomas. Uh, Cam Jordan's probably not going to be around forever, but their, their defence is at least all right. And, and obviously... Sean Payton, much as we might not like him, is is a pretty decent QB coach. Well, that's it, isn't it? That's that's the key one right there, Sean Payton. I mean, I mean there's a reason why Teddy Bridgewater decided to stick in New Orleans by backing up Drew Brees rather than going somewhere like Miami uh, to start. It's because the situation is good. It's ready to go. Um, we're going to see in the next six weeks just how ready to uh, how good it is uh, New Orleans, I suppose, um, with Brees out. Um, but for me, I think everything that is there that you'd like, you'd need including even even so much as like playing in a dome, you know, with that raucous crowd and things like that. I don't, I can't see a real negative being a starting quarterback for New Orleans Saints right now. Right. And even on their defense, they've got Marcus Lattimore, who's already one of the best cornerbacks. I'm not going to say he's one of the elite cornerbacks, but he's, he's one of the good ones at a young age. You've got linebackers, you know, I think you can kind of cycle those in and out, to be honest. Uh, Sheldon Rankins is decent, even though I think he's out at the moment. Um, and Marcus Davenport is, is a young player with a lot of potential that you know they traded up for so presumably they, they think he's going to be good going down the line so yeah and you've also got Michael Thomas in there as well who catches anything put within 
sort of a meter either side of him. You've got um, Kamara dump offs kind of thing. Like realistically, they've got talent all the way across. Even Traquan Smith and Jared Cook are solid receiving options. So you, you wouldn't be upset being dropped in there. I, I think Merth's problem is looking future at the offensive line and whether or not Peyton leaves with Breeze. But that's not how you're kind of judging it right now. This is a perfect example. I think Bridgewater or Taysom Hill would succeed in this situation. If they don't, it's on their talent rather than on their um, on the situation. I, I think if they fail there, it's just because Bridgewater maybe is not the quarterback he was earlier in his career and Taysom Hill is arguably not a quarterback. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think maybe um, Murph's Tampa Bay affiliations have got the better of him a little bit. <laughs> uh, he, did have, he did have an interesting wrinkle in that they, they normally only roster like eight or nine offensive linemen, which is one or two below the league the league average. So maybe he thinks that's not quite the focus it should be for them, which... To be fair, they've got a quarterback who lets the ball go inside two seconds. It doesn't matter if there was um, tackling dummies blocking for him. He releases the ball quicker than anyone because he knows Michael Thomas will catch it. Right, and two seconds is pretty much the league average now. So, you know, the well, defensive line definitely, definitely matters, but it's, uh, it's certainly something that the league is trending to adjust for maybe less, less good O-line play. Um, right, we'll move down the list then, and we'll go down to, to Ben's favourite part, the, the worst teams. We've all got either Miami or Arizona last, as far as I can tell. I can't believe anybody does not have a, a Miami last. I think we should just shoot Simon now and move on. Nah. <laughs> uh, I, I just winged it, to be honest. I thought this 32nd, 31st, they're both as bad as each other, aren't you? <laughs> and I, I kind of I took it apart as, as um, the way they've set up. So Arizona, obviously, they've kind of not really neglected the offensive line this soft season so much, but not address it as, as much as, say, like the wide receiving positions because you know that Murray's got that elusiveness. He can get out outside the pocket and, as, you know, he's got a bit more latitude with him with regards to his offensive line. Um, whereas if I was going to drop in that situation, I can't move at all. So for me, Arizona would be an absolute nightmare. And do you know who isn't known for his mobility that they also didn't put an offensive line in front of last season? Josh Rosen. So... <laughs> It, two years in a row now, whether it's free agency or the draft, they've, they've just kind of ignored defensive line. And maybe that's because they think they can get the ball out quickly. But with rookie quarterbacks, with the best one in the world, it's not going to happen. Yeah, and they, a lot of the coaches, you hear them talk about when they do interviews after they've taken jobs or, or when their quarterback that they took a job has recycled. Talking about taking a guy who's already scarred. And we saw it, we've seen it in Jacksonville with the likes of Blaine Gabbert, who... And even to an extent, Blake Balls, they just stared and looked at the rush because they were so scared that they were going to get hit every play that they weren't looking at the field. And then almost they were checking that the rush wasn't going to hit them. Then they were looking up and trying to find a receiver. And they were just, that's why they were making so many mistakes. They talk so much about this scar tissue in terms of mental scarring that if they're not careful with Kyler Murray, it's going to happen. And as he gets hit more, his mobility that he has is going to start to wear. We've seen it on Cam Newton. And we're going to see it on Kyler Murray. And Murray is, he's tiny, as um, Mike Lombardi calls him on the GM shuffle. He's the um, mayor of Munchkinland. <laughs> I, think, I think that's really interesting. I think um, it'd be interesting to see just uh, how quickly someone like Josh Rosen gets the yips behind that line in Miami. Because one of the, the one thing I think uh, Josh Rosen really has over maybe the rest of that class, or certainly when he came in anyway, was his, his pocket, my um, kind of like intuition, very good at stepping up in the pocket. But if you can't do that, then how long is it going to be before he starts seeing it? Just like you say, Ben, I mean, 
it's not going to take long, is it? And it doesn't look like it's going to get better any soon. It's probably one of the reasons why Miami's so intently sticking with uh, Fitzpatrick just for the time being. I just don't see what they're trying to do here because they could have, like, they called it organic tanking. Like, this isn't organic anymore. <laughs> this is this is as preconceived as you possibly can have, and it's it's the GM version, if you like, for for two reasons. But like, they had an opportunity this season, right? They could have just played young players. They could have thrown shit at the wall, sixth round picks, undrafted players, and just seen who they had that was talented and given players a go earlier in their career that maybe normally wouldn't do, uh, because there's normally what they call progress stoppers, uh, I think a, a famous coach once called it. And you could have had Rosen with a decent line, some okay players that wouldn't have cost you the earth, and just seen what you had in him for a season, and really tried to give him the opportunity to have the potential, because the preference shouldn't be, oh yeah, we'll, we'll spend a first-round pick on, on tour, next season, the preference should have been that Josh Rosen succeeded to the player that we all thought he was going to be. And then they still have a, a pretty good draft pick at the end of the season, even if they were outside the top 10 or whatever. That should have been their preference. But actually, they've, they've just not even given him the chance for that. No, they've thrown him to the wolves, essentially. It's, it, it's, it almost wouldn't make you wonder why they bothered wasting a second round pick to trade for him. If, if this was the plan all along, I'm not quite sure what, what they were thinking. It just... It's not like they're getting a season out of him. That you know, he's literally just sitting there waiting for his turn to, to go in behind a bad line. I just don't, I just don't know what the, what the plan was. If they were going all in on tour, why bother? Yeah, it just it does seem an odd situation in Miami, and you wouldn't wish anybody behind that situation unless their feeling is is to bed Rosen in for the year, not get him scarred behind that offensive line, and then use all these draft picks to rebuild the offense and the defense around him, maybe trade back. Maybe they're not interested in Tua. Maybe they're thinking we can, we, we will be bad this year. We might be bad next year. We can just keep cycling our ammo back. And if it doesn't work next year with Rosen, we've got Trevor Lawrence. Maybe that's the plan. It doesn't seem like it's the plan, but maybe they're hoping they can hold a King's ransom for Tua and drop Rosen in behind a rebuilt offensive line next year. It's an interesting way of doing it. And I don't think it's the case, but it's going to be worth watching. Yeah, and on some level, you need game time to develop too, right? If, if they're just going to shield him for the entire season, I, I don't see how he's going to develop at the same rate as he could do seeing and, and building confidence in the league against some of the elite players. So, Oh, no, absolutely. He needs, he needs to see time in, in the games, but maybe they're going to save that for later in the year when they see some better matchups, something like that. But I don't know. I haven't seen any reports. There might be some out there about what the what the practice split is like. I don't know if they're seeing 50-50 or if Rosen's only seeing 25%. Because if Rosen's seeing only 25%, this is a complete waste of time because Fitzpatrick is not, not your quarterback. You might as well, realistically, be giving Rosen 90% of the practice snaps and then just throwing Fitzpatrick out there. Because if you're giving Fitzpatrick any more than that, it's not working right now. Well, and actually, the, the player that doesn't need any practice snaps is the, the 34, 35-year-old quarterback that's a journeyman that you're signing for a year or two, right? Like, that went to Harvard and can pick things up quickly. Exactly. <laughs> so, actually, in terms of hit, if he is getting the practice snaps, yeah, you're right. That, that doesn't make sense at all. Bit of a sidebar here. I was at the, the sports law uh, conference last week, and I mentioned it. Um, we talked about young players and uh, the insurance that they can take out and whether players are taking out cover for loss of future earning. 
So if they get injured early in their career, they never see the value in that, even though they've tried really hard for it. So maybe they pay a premium for their insurance cover. And one of the things that obviously makes sense, we, we see this with uh, draft prospects sometimes when they get an advisory grade that they could be a first round pick and then they get injured in the season beforehand and go in the third round, they then get paid the difference by the insurance company. But those insurance companies need something tangible to base that on. So for players like Josh Rosen, who come into the league with a ton of potential and then essentially put in one physically dangerous positions and two kind of reputationally dangerous positions, you're kind of limiting their value and how much they can get on their next contract when they're limited at whatever their fixed contract is as a rookie, which is obviously way less less than it was before. We know that's below market value. So it's really interesting for me, and he will have set, signed away these, these kind of rights on some level, as to actually that, that club can trade him away to anybody just kind of make him live there unless he wants to to hold out and risk his reputation even more and and get banged up, get sacked continually, not play. Uh, and then realistically, if he was a free agent this offseason, well, what kind of contract is he going to get? It's not going to be anything big. So if I'm his agent, in an ideal world, I'd say, mate, look, you need to hold out, right? You need to do what Minka did and demand a trade. But because the buzz on him from the kind of old boys community coming into the league was that he's this millennial that might leave at any point, which, by the way, no one ever said of Andrew Luck, who <laughs> he just people left. are now saying, you know, he, he wasn't enjoying it anymore, he's yeah. injured, he's made his money, and he wants to travel the world, which is totally up to him. And, and he has been one of these players that never got the offensive line and got injured and is having to leave the league. Rosen's already tired with this brush of not being able to, to really make his own decisions here. So the league as a community have, have given him this reputation, which means to me he can't hold out. And he's just having to, to suck it up and, and deal with this shit, right? So it's, it's, it's pretty tough, the position he's in. And we used to, and we used to like look not so favourably on quarterbacks who, who said they weren't going somewhere in the draft, like John Elway. And I think John Elway's probably like the perfect example of of Josh Rosen nowadays. Back in the day, he was obviously a free thinker, a guy who had his own opinions about stuff, refused to go to the Baltimore Colts, end up in Denver. Um, obviously, that kind of like decision-making ability for, for Rosen, he's lost that now behind this awful, in this awful situation. I mean, like you say, not of his own doing, but he has to kind of grin and bear it and see how, how, where, where he lands at the end of this year. Right, and to your point, he never actually did anything like that. He never did a Manning thing or an Elway thing that we're aware of, that I won't go play in this place. You've got Manning getting played for years and paid $25 million to do nothing for this season, presumably now, after he demanded that he wouldn't go to the Chargers, right? Like, at the same time, you know, it's their career, and that, that shouldn't, be, shouldn't be the case. So if it wasn't for them, why should it be for Rosen? It's weird. Well, interesting we brought up Eli Manning because the whole reason why we're doing this podcast was the New York Giants and uh, Daniel Jones and how he's going to fare uh, in that situation. Um, I'm, I'm kind of sitting on the fence a little bit. Uh, I know you guys have very uh, big opinions, but it's interesting to note that how, how uh, vociferously you defended the situation in, in New York, Dan. You still had them, I think, 25th on your list. Yes, yeah, so, so for me, it wasn't cut and dry, right? So Ben singled it out as being he's put in a, a place to fail, basically. But I don't think they're so much off the league average in terms of what they've got and how they're set up, right? So there's probably about 20, 22 teams around the middle, uh, or yeah, 20 teams, 18 teams that are, they've got some pluses, they've got some minuses, I can see it and I can't. 
But for me, the Arizona and the Miami situations, if, if we're doing this on a, on a graph of how we've scored them, I'm scoring Miami and Arizona as being 95% set up to set up to fail. Maybe less for Kyler because he, he's got um, some continuity with Cliff, right? He knows the system. But for the others, you're probably starting around 80, 85, right? So for me, there's a drop-off. I don't think it's quite the same difference. I think that New York at least have made attempts at improving their O-line. They've invested. Solder is average, I would say, um, or, or, or lower average, whatever. But he's not one of the worst in the league. I think it's because he's paid so highly that everyone sees him as being terrible. Uh, Zeitler's always been good. I, I don't know if people are saying that he's been particularly bad this season. Hernandez has got a lot of potential. And actually, most of these lines, you've got three decent players and then a couple of subpar players in there. So I don't think that's that different. I don't think the coach is very good, to be honest. We all have issues with Gettleman as a GM, but as soon as you start getting into that kind of roster construction thing of whether you're putting the rookie in a position to succeed, I think it gets a little bit more murky. For me, if you're a rookie coming into the league, and I guess this is what it hinges on, right? You're going to have some confidence issues. You're going to have some limitations. So what you need is players that you can dump the ball off to, whether it's short or intermediate options. And I think that Ingram and Barkley are probably some of the best in the league there. All right. And actually, to be honest, Shepard and Tate, whilst they might be limited as receivers, that's what they can do well, right? They can get open in those short spaces and give you an option, the kind of high percentage players that rookies need. So for me, I guess that's why I was kind of, Defending the situation of the Giants, not necessarily defending the Giants themselves, because I think they've made some real issues and they could have actually uh, had a much stronger position for, for quarterbacks if they'd handled this differently. But yeah, I, I don't think that that's such a terrible position. I don't think that they've been set up to, to succeed. I think it could be better, but I don't think it's too bad. Yeah, my, my kind of view on it is just that I think what became quite clear yesterday was we have very different takes on tight end. And maybe it's because I've been spoiled watching Rob Gronkowski at the Patriots. But to me, Evan Ingram is good, but I would happily trade him out for a Mark Andrews right now, a Waller right now. I feel like any of those guys Mm. are very competent tight ends. And unless you're an Ertz or a, a Kelsey or a Kittle, a real game-breaking tight end who has proven over lots long periods of time that you can make big plays. I, I know Engram and Andrews and all those, their stats right now dwarf what Ertz and Kittle have done. But we're only two games in. I just don't see Engram as a huge upgrade. I know the team you compared them to initially, Dan, was the Titans. And for me, I'd rather have the combination of the Titans receivers, which is some deep threats with still having those underneath threats. And I'd much rather have Delaney Walker and Jonu Smith potentially as, a, as, as, as options in that offense as, than I, as I would Ingram. I just think Ingram plus Barkley with the negatives that I think Tate and Shepard are in the situation, especially given the fact that neither of them are, like, are possibly going to be playing this week, which makes it even worse. Um, it's just such a poor situation. You, depth comes into it a little bit because obviously you need to think about Tate's not there. What's below him? Well, I think there's another Shepherd potentially, or a Slate. I think it's Slayton that's behind um, these two. And I couldn't. I struggle to even name the Giants' backups. I think Slayton. I think Lattimore might be there, but there's just nothing there. It's just a talent devoid group outside of Barkley and Ingram. I think Barkley is obviously one of the best in his 
position. I, I'm not sold that Engram is anywhere above. I don't, I don't see how he's differentiated himself from the average. I think similar to what you're saying, there's a big group of teams in that middle point. I think there's a big group of tight ends in that middle point that could be quite happily traded out for one another. I just, I don't know. It just feels so mad. It feels like it's a situation where the crowd is going to be on his back very fast. And this is not anything. It's the giant's fault. It's the market they're in. But I actually think that the best case scenario from him is starting in Tampa Bay where there'll be 10 fans in the crowd there might be more Giants fans than Buccaneers fans because one of the reasons the Buccaneers give up a game to come to London is because no one wants to go there. <laughs> it's just, it's actually going to be one, a less hostile crowd for him in Tampa Bay than it will be in New York. So in that way, actually, they've set him up to succeed by putting him in on a road game. But I just, I just don't see the offensive line is not good. The defense is a complete joke. So he's going to have to score 30 points probably to win them a game. I just think... Rightly or wrongly, we judge quarterbacks by their their record. I think that's wrong. But if he comes out of it with even a sixty percent passer rate, sixty percent completion rate, he's not gonna. He, they're not gonna win games. It's gonna look like a complete failure of a season. There's gonna be plenty of highlights of him throwing interceptions because his offensive line broke down and he panicked and threw the ball up. And people are gonna come out of it saying that he's a bust come the end of the year. That's just the way I kind of view it. I think long term there might be more to it than that, but. Right now, I would personally, I want to see him in there. I don't want, actually, I'm going to say personally, I want to see Eli. No one ever wants to see Eli. So <laughs> that's, that's an unfair comment. But I don't want to see a young quarterback in Daniel Jones go out there and fail because the situation around him is, in my view, bottom five of the league when there are so many better situations that a quarterback could be dropped into. I don't even need him to be contending. But I genuinely think if you dropped him in at Tampa Bay, he could help that team contend because he wouldn't make as many stupid mistakes as Jameis does. Okay, but so, so for a different opinion, so you, you, you dug out the PFF rankings for O-Lines, right? Yeah. Who had the Giants 17? Yeah, so that... So... It's not too far off the mean, I don't suppose, but I mean, that was just before the league started. I think um, the O-Lines, you can take it one or two ways. Yeah, Will Hernandez looked quite good, to be fair. Nate, I understand your point, Dan, about Nate Solder being maybe picked on a little bit because the money's making, but he hasn't been good at all. Um, the interesting thing for me, I think the biggest de- deficiencies for the, the Giants they're going to find one Pat Shermer. I don't, I don't know if whether he's able to call a game as a, a head coach like he was as an offensive coordinator in Minnesota, but it's just not really inspiring anybody. Um, if it's not a good situation for Daniel Jones, and obviously you know Eli Manning's a, a 15-year vet or whatever, um, it wouldn't be a good situation for him either. So are, are we quick to judge Eli Manning over that because essentially? Daniel Jones is a clone of Eli, according to everybody who knows these kind of things. I think if Eli part, can't do it, why why can't Daniel Jones? You know, is it the same situation for both of them? Yeah, but I think the problem, the difference is there is you're dropping in a 15-year veteran who mm. you would hope should have the ability to elevate his team with their knowledge of uh, blitz schemes, their knowledge of um, cover three versus cover two. Jones should know all of this, but whether he's able to recognize it in that in that environment of an NFL game. I mean, he's come from Duke. So realistically, he only actually played, what, one or two competitive defenses? You're the college guy here. You, you can tell me. But the ACC doesn't have much in terms of defensive talent. He would have only really come up against Clemson that would have been scary and then anything they played out of conference. So his his knowledge of good NFL defenses is going to be low. You would like to think... Eli can elevate play. The problem is it just seems as though Eli can't anymore. 
he he obviously could at some stage in his career but let's be realistic he's now 500 for his career is that because of the situation he's been put in recently partly yes but also it's to do with the fact that the way that he's playing has forced the hand of the giants into spending money on things around him and and missing on things so yeah it's unfair on Eli I don't think Eli should be left out there to sink but I feel like you need to as a franchise worry about your future and if Eli's not your future why are you risking damaging a young quarterback who you think you obviously think has the upside to lead you to multiple Super Bowls or you wouldn't have taken him sixth overall why are you risking damaging him by putting him out there in a situation where in four or five weeks time you could have lost all four or five of your games and the crowd be all over him Right. Yeah. Okay. Maybe. I mean, I like I said, I don't think that they're far off the average. Right. I I would argue that the Bengals line's way worse. Um, I'd say that Tyler Boyd's, you know, the best receiver out of that bunch, but Mixon isn't isn't, in my opinion, that close to being a Barkley. The only thing I'll say is on that is the Bengals are expected, I, I believe, to get offensive linemen back in the next sort of few weeks. The same as we're talking about Tate and Shepard coming back. Yeah, fine, but none none of their O linemen any good anyway, apart from the the one that they brought in. <laughs> so and he got injured for the season. So, um, sorry, uh, Jonah Williams that, that got injured at the start of the season. So, I, I they they've overpaid some way below average players for me, Bobby Hart, etc. So I mean, if we're comparing Bobby Hart to, to Nate Solder, I'm sorry, it's it's way different. Nate Solder's elite compared to Bobby Hart. Play teams like Houston, right? Obviously, their O line is still pretty bad, even though they've just paid for Tunsil. It's still obviously early doors, um, but like most of us have them around the middle, right? But is that just because they've got Nuke Hopkins? Because you know, like you you can't just build it on one player. I think some of that is Hopkins, but I also think they've got talent in Fuller, talent in Johnson, uh, Duke Johnson receiving out of the backfield. You would argue that Duke Johnson is among the best pass-catching backs in the NFL. He's not Barkley's level, but he's among the best pass-catching backs in the NFL. And they've got a great... And the other thing is, they've got a great defense and they've supposedly got a coach that elevates offense. Now, whether you believe that is a different matter. No, I think that's fair. I think that's fair as well. Um, It's just... Ben's obviously t- taking a big focus on, you know, like you said about Evan Ingram, obviously a great weapon, but maybe a more established uh, veteran quarterback. Um, is it a piece that's really going to help the uh, rookie quarterback right now? So, you know, like there are certain tight ends out of the league that can do the short stuff and help out the rookies. Uh, just like you mentioned Duke Johnson there, obviously that's a, a great security blanket for a rookie quarterback if you were put into the Houston. That's maybe why we've elevated him a little bit higher than the Giants. Where did you have him, Dan? Houston. Mm. So, yeah, I think for me, they'd be average just because of those receiving options. They've got Fuller, et cetera, right? To be honest, I don't think their defense, well, they've just got rid of Clowney. The, yeah, the it's, it's still better than the Giants like, one, though, isn't it? It's still better than the Giants. Oh, yeah, yeah, fine. But for me, if we're waiting how important the defense is for whether you class a rookie as succeeding or not, we're talking about 10%, 15% of the whole picture, right? So yeah. just because we're saying they're an A or whatever, it's not really moving the needle on the whole situation. Uh, it does when you compare an A to what the Giants have. The Giants' defense is, I would say, one of the worst in the league this year. Okay, fine, but no defense is below a D, right? So it's not really. Well, I, I you're talking about a Giants team that just gave up 28 points to Josh Allen and the Bills. Yeah, okay, fine. Josh but... Allen and the Bills <laughs> average about 12 points a game. 
That's it, with two seasons exaggerated. in, I'm not going to profess that we know what that team is yet, right? I think it's too early. Um, what, one team that I was surprised no one had higher is Chicago, right? And I think that's because of how Trubisky's played it. But actually, if you line this stuff up, Nagy got a ton out of him last season because he's, in, he's very creative. He, he should be, for me, one of those coaches that you think really does elevate the quarterback. Um, their O-line's above average. I think it's decent. Their receiving options are pretty good. Like Alan Robinson's obviously still coming back from that injury a bit, but he has a lot of talent. They've got Trey Burton. Uh, they've got Tariq Cohen that can grab passes for them. Anthony Miller's ascending. Um, and their defense is really good. So for me, in terms of a situation, I'd say that's almost like kind of top four, top five. But we're weighing it down a little bit because actually the quarterback sucks. Maybe that's true. Um, yes. I, I couldn't figure out um, whether or not it was that was the old line because in the first two games, both games, we see Matt, uh, Matt Nagy absolutely lay into his old line on the sideline. He doesn't think they're doing a very good job. Now, maybe that's Trubisky holding the ball too long, only seeing half the field, you know, just putting them in a bad situation more than anything else. I, I struggle to figure out what exactly it is about Chicago that's holding the back right now, whether it is the quarterback or not. Um, I mean, what do you expect him to say there, though? Like, is yeah, every true, week, true. is he going to be like, yeah, my, my second or third year quarterback that we traded up for just isn't good enough? Like, he, he can't do that. So he's going to have to give it to the, the five tough guys to, to handle the criticism, right? No, I think that's fine. I, I had him about 10th, I think. I, I didn't really put him down or anything. It's just I, I just didn't have him in that upper echelon. What about you, Ben? Where did you have him? So let, let's all be honest here. I've absolutely half-assed this and only ranked <laughs> the bottom eight because... I, I, I just basically used my power rankings for this. And obviously Chicago are depressed because of Trubisky in that. And they ranked, I'm going to say 16th in my power rankings this week. So without Trubisky, let's move them up to sort of 10, eight, if they had a competent rookie quarterback that could actually throw the ball to, you know, the full Fine, breadth you, of the field. You can't use the quarterback to define the situation though. Right? No, that's we're, true. We, we're using whatever prototype quarterback that's going into all of these situations. So the QB can't. Yeah, but what I'm saying is Trubisky. I'm saying that I would like to think that Daniel Jones is at this stage going to offer me more than what I've seen from Mitchell Trubisky in the first two weeks. That's interesting. I'm saying. Okay. I don't necessarily know, but if I've, and I know Trubisky was taken second overall, but I think we can all agree much like everyone thought with Jones, that was a reach. Yeah. But right now, the way I'm seeing Trubisky play, he is among the bottom five in quarterbacks on show right now because it's, it's ugly. And yes, he's faced two decent defenses, but it wasn't pretty last year. At the moment, I would like to think that the situation around him would allow him, uh, Daniel Jones, to come in and win games in that situation. Yeah. Now, right. I mean, for me, that's then right that's a top five situation, right? If the if his scenario can elevate him to being the QB of a playoff team, when we think he's a bottom five quarterback, potentially, what you're saying there. Maybe he wasn't what I've seen this year, my only concern with that defense is there's naturally going to be defensive regression this year. It's it's only natural. No defense can be as good as they were last year, two years running. It we don't we don't tend to see it. So it's kind of that situation where I still worry about what their receivers offer. I still worry a little bit about their running backs, and I still worry a little bit about their offensive line. It's not an absolutely great offensive situation. I think he will be the difference between them being a playoff team or not this year. But I don't think Trubisky is the difference between them being a Super Bowl winning team, which is where I put my top five. My top five teams who I think with the right situation this year can win the Super Bowl are the Cowboys, Rams, Patriots, Chiefs, and arguably 
the Saints. I, I knocked them down this week or the Ravens. They're the other two teams. So to be a top five team, you need to be one of the, one, in one of those situations. So I think top 10 is perfectly fair for the Bears. Okay. Ravens is an interesting one for me because they've got a lot of unproven talent at wide receiver. Um, I think that if you're putting them up there, you're, you're giving Harper a lot of credit, which I do, by the way. I think he's great. And I think that they've really managed uh, Lamar Jackson's development well. So if we need anything to to show what's a good situation is to see that it's already happened, right? So yeah, I, I think that's fair. Um, before before we wrap up, I know we haven't really concluded anything here, but I think we've got some some good takes that we can bring back and haunt Ben with, maybe. Um, Thursday night football, Titans Jags. Will either of you watch it? No, go to bed. <laughs> I'll be watching it, no doubt. Um, really interested to see Titans a much better team on the road than they are at home. Um, and obviously with the Thursday, Thursday game, kind of interesting because not many away teams win. But Derek Henry had this Jaguars number last year. I want to see if it, it can be the same again or is that Jaguars defence dysfunctional as it is it's got better? Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting to see if Jalen Ramsey's even in the game. Keeps mm. talking about how much he wants to be part of the game and how much he, he loves the team and stuff, but also that he wants to leave immediately. So, slight contradiction. Yeah, go to bed. The total was set at 40, and I've got <laughs> a pr- I'm pretty certain that the under is going to hit because Gardner Minshew, as fun as he is, is did not look great as a quarterback until the final drive last week, which we're going to have that drive broken down for us on the touchdown this week by Tyler. So, I'm looking forward to seeing that. And the Titans just are the Titans, and Marcus Mariota might be the most boring quarterback in the league. <laughs>